0: Father, we, uh, we come into your presence this morning. Um, you welcome us here. You are doing something here, whether we know it or not, Lord, you are, you are knitting our hearts to you. You're knitting our hearts together. You're exposing places where we are, um, dead in order to bring new life and you are, um, healing places that have been hurt and broken. And we thank you for that, Lord. So we just take a deep breath here and we just ask you to, um, continue your good work in us uh, through your word. Lord, now as, as we hear it read and hear it preached, um, would you keep your promise to us to not leave us unchanged? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, if you've been with us, we are in a series now. We're in a vision series called The Great Adventure Finds Us. And adventure is an important word to us because it's a cool word. Um, No, it's important to us because there's a lot of meaning in that word for us. Uh, You know, essentially to go on an adventure is to be led somewhere that you've never been before. And really that's that's a very good way to think about discipleship. That's a very good way to think about following Jesus and the life of following Jesus is he is leading you and I somewhere that we have never been before. And it's somewhere good. And it's somewhere beautiful and there's going to be hardships and there's going to be uh, suffering and ups and downs but um, this is what we were made for and so um, we have a vision statement at midtown west Um, this is the product of this is not something new that we're um, giving to the world and we're like okay jesus says all of this stuff but we've got something new going on right now um and he's given us a special revelation that he's not given anyone for all the centuries that the church has existed. That's not what's going on here. Um, what is going on here is that we believe that the Lord speaks to us as individuals, but he also speaks to us as individual congregations of his people, because he has specific purposes. He has specific people out in the world. We are specific people that he is calling. He's doing something specific. And so our vision statement is a, a specific context, like a contextual reflection of what he calls all of his people to be up to, which. Is to worshiping him and uh, loving him with everything that we have, and loving other people the way that he has loved us. And so, our vision statement that we're unpacking over these weeks is this: that we are on adventure with Jesus to be set free, to set others free, and to enjoy that freedom together. And so, last week we we talked about setting out, um, kind of staying in this adventure theme. That Jesus is the one who calls. Um, we are on adventure with Jesus. He shows up into our lives. He calls us. This is annoying me. Um, and he invites us into something. He invites us to follow him. He invites us to life with him. And uh, what we said last week is that our souls will be ever dissatisfied, ever hungry until we give him the keys to our life and let him take us somewhere that we've never been before. And so this week, um, we are talking about the mountain within uh, to be set free, what it is that Jesus is setting us free. And so, I mean, if we're going to stick with the, the adventure picture here, it's like Jesus shows up in his cool beard and his VW van with all the mountaineering gear on top, and he shows up and, and asks us to come with him, and we come and we sit in the van, and we're like, where are we going? Like, which really exotic place are we headed to? And he's like, oh, we're not going out there. Um, we're going to the mountain in here. We, we need to conquer what's in here because the issue um, is, is not that our circumstances need to change. It's that we need to change. Um, it's that we have a problem inside, not a problem out there uh, that we're just victims of, uh, of you know, what's been done to us, who, who is doing something, um, what our life looks like and how we wished it looked different. All of that is real. And the Lord is, is not in any way belittling anything that's happened. He cares more about it than you do even. But what he's saying is that your primary problem, my primary problem is not what's out there. It's what's in here that's coming out. And that those things are touching the nerve and exposing what's really in here, and, uh, you know, if, if you doubt that, um, just think about the world's most beautiful, talented, powerful people. There's there's not a correlation between um, successful, happy circumstances and life and freedom and happiness and fullness. Uh, I mean, you know, we can see it out there in the world in, in terms of like who we know, who's a celebrity for whatever reason that they're famous and see that a lot of their personal lives are in total shambles even though they've been very successful professionally. We can see that in our own lives when we really long for things to happen, these certain circumstances that we just think, if, if this just works out, then everything will be different. I won't be a jerk anymore because I'll have this thing that makes me happy or whatever it is. But it, you know, even when we have those things, that never happens. Um, it's always something else. There's something still just over the horizon. There's something still out there, but it's not because it's out there. It's, it's something going on in here and so we need Jesus to set us free. We need Jesus to set us free from ourselves. And and how does he do that? So we're uh I'm going to call up whoever is reading scripture for us today. Lindy, come on up, Lindy Griffin. Um so as Lindy's coming up, we are we are using one passage, this one story of Jesus coming to Levi. Um and this really reflects the fullness of our vision statement. But then each week we have a different supporting passage as we, we dig into something specific. So, Lindy's going to read those for us.
1: Um, our first passage is out of Luke five twenty-seven through 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to them, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And our second passage is out of Romans 7, 1 through 6. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Starting with Jesus and Levi, we have a picture of what it is to be set free. This process of Jesus coming into our lives and setting us free. He, he shows up. Levi is a tax collector. You know, we're not going to get into it, but that's kind of like the worst of the worst. Like he was a notorious figure. And um, that apparently didn't matter to Jesus. That didn't stop him from having a relationship with him. Jesus came and saw him sitting in the tax booth. So there's no you know, no pretense, like he was in the process of doing this thing that made him a notorious person that was undesirable. And Jesus said, follow me. And it said that he left everything and followed him. And so we have this beautiful picture of this mutual hospitality, this mutual invitation. Jesus comes first. He always comes first. And he invites Matthew or Levi into his life. And then Levi responds, by accepting that invitation and inviting Jesus into his life and into his home. And what he, what he does from here is he prepares a feast. And again, this is a beautiful picture of what it is to commune with God, to have the life that we were made for as people who are following Jesus, is to commune with him. Think about why, why do you prepare a feast? If you've prepared a feast, if you've attended a feast, um, this isn't just dinner, this isn't just a meal. Um, when we talk about a feast, the reason you do that is because you're celebrating something. You're enjoying, you, you love the people who are going to be attending this feast. So there's this anticipation of um, time together and fellowship and hospitality and sharing stories and listening to stories and, and giving and receiving and laughing and crying and whatever else comes up. But there's just this overall vibe of just space, when you have a feast, um, there's no one is in a hurry. You just have space to just to be together and that's the point of everything. And so here, I mean, it's just this beautiful picture of this really at, at the bottom is what it is to be a Christian, someone who is following Jesus, who is in relationship with God and God is dwelling in them and, and, and us in and him. 1 John 1.3 says this, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us, those who are following Jesus, and have our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. This whole thing of people who are following Jesus is that we have fellowship with God the Father and we have fellowship with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit now indwells us and it's this ongoing communion and union and feasting Uh, forever. That's what it is to be in Christ. And then Jesus says this in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Not I will come in and fix him, or I will come in and tell him all the ways that he's messing things up and needs to get his life on track. Um, I will come in and eat with him. I will have fellowship, I will have this mutual hospitality, this mutual self-giving, creating space, leaning in, turning toward one another, and enjoying each other. So uh, we'll just pause here and ask what, if, if at all, um, does our time spent with Jesus look like and feel like? Does it feel like that? Or does it feel like something else? Does it feel like a race to be perfected? I only have a few minutes so I got to get all these prayer requests out Lord please make me different in, in all these different ways or is it a business meeting we're just gonna like take care of all the things that need to happen today just make sure they get blessed and then we're just gonna move on or is it just non-existent and so if we hear this beautiful picture we, you know, we got to get underneath this because what we've heard just now is that the the life with Jesus is this beautiful picture that I would argue is appealing to just about anyone um, and that that all of our hearts desire that. But there is a problem. There's something going on because even for those of us who are in Christ, there are many times where I literally want to do anything other than to sit quietly with Jesus. I will find anything possible. So many of y'all are shaking your heads because it's true. I will literally busy myself with anything, no matter how ridiculous, no matter how small or trivial it is to, to avoid being still with Jesus. So something is wrong in here. Even for those of us who, who believe that this is true and that God loves us in this way, there's something that is up. Blaise Pascal, who is a, one of the great minds of human history said this, all of men's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. That is so brilliant and it's so true. And so what is happening here? There's, the problem is there's a fear. There's a fear here with Jesus um, that keeps us working nonstop, perfecting ourselves nonstop, scrolling nonstop, consuming nonstop, hanging out with friends nonstop, nonstop. And so why why are we so afraid? Um, What are we afraid of? And how does Jesus come and set us free from this fear? And that's why we have this second passage from Romans 7. We kind of zoom in. Um, We have something that's making what Levi and Jesus are sharing not possible for us a lot of the times. We don't get to realize that even though Jesus has made it possible. And so what is that? And so um, we kind of zoom in and ask Paul to help us. Um, Will you help us to see what is this giant stumbling block in front of us um, that keeps us from being able to have this communion? And so we start here in verse, verse 1 and 2 of this passage from Romans 7. Um, we pick up with Paul mid-argument, but I think it's still going to make sense for us. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who, are, who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? And so just stop right there, and, and here's, here's where the fear begins. There is a law. There's a law that is binding on us. The God of the universe has created the world and created his people to work in a certain way. And so there is this law that he has given um, that is binding on us. And because of this thing, we're going to get into that a little more in a second, but because of this thing that's wrong with us, um, we hate both of those things. I hate law. I hate any law, anything that tells me that I need to do a certain thing or not do a certain thing all the time and I'm not in charge of of what that is or what I get to do, I hate that. And I hate God. I hate him for being in charge, just in general. I hate him for getting to make laws that I have to follow. There's something in me that hates all of this and reacts against this. And we want to work it out to where we can make peace with this and just do a little something to get the law and God off of our backs. Um, if I could just go to church a little bit, if I could just be, be nice to strangers and smile and wave to people and let some people in in front of me in traffic or whatever it is, then we'll kind of check that box and, and then I get to do whatever I want. But the Lord has orchestrated the law in such a way that it is not so shallow, it is all encompassing. It is not a compartment of your life, it is your whole life. It is not only what you do in every facet of your life, professionally, at home, in your community, romantically, whatever, it touches everything. And it doesn't just touch all of your words and behaviors, it touches your intentions. It goes under the skin and gets into your heart and says, we're not even, we're not even concerned only with what you're doing out there in the world, we're concerned with what you are thinking in here. And that makes me angry because I can't get away from it ever at all. And it's not just that I can do a few things here and there and, and be cool and, and get God off my back and then just go on to live in life however. It's this constant thing that is always on me that I can't ever get out from underneath. And even when I like to pretend like I don't even know what this guy's talking about right now, you do. And if you stop and think long enough, you will realize it, uh, but that's why we don't stop. That's why we're like Blaise Pascal said and we just keep on being busy and busy and busy because underneath we all know that that's in there and we can't face it. But Paul says, makes a great point here, um, any kind of law is only binding on a person when they're alive, right? You can't get angry at a dead body for not keeping the law. Um, Even though you'd be great at keeping the Sabbath and resting, everything else is really tough to do when you're dead. And so he gives this picture of marriage to say, um, You know, when you have two people who are married together, um, your responsibilities and duties as a husband or a wife, um, they disappear when one of you dies. You're no longer married. You can't be married anymore because somebody is not there anymore. A death has voided the law. You're no longer obligated to keep that. And Paul kind of mixes his metaphors here in these verses um, because really what he's getting at is, It's not that your spouse died for this, the sake of this example. It's that you died. It's that um, if you die and you're married, you no longer have to do certain things to be a husband or a wife the way that you were supposed to be because you're dead. So in a sense, um, you're free. You're not obligated, but you're also dead. So so if only we could somehow die and not be dead, if we could live. Um, And so we continue here in verse 4 that something big, something uh, completely life-changing happened when Jesus died on the cross for you. Um, Even though this happened in human history in space and time centuries before you ever drew your first breath, um, something happened that day in that specific place that has bearing on your life that changes everything. And that's what Paul gets into in verse 4 here. He says, likewise, brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So when we hear of what Christ has done on our behalf in faith, there's something that happens in, our, in us that is... Um, you can't see it, but it is more real than anything material uh, in this physical world because it is, is more lasting, it's eternal. There's something that happens in us when I hear um, that Jesus has taken my place and taken the wrath of God, taken the punishment for sin that was due for me so that I can live. Um, something happens in me when God allows me to hear that and believe that, and that's united with faith. There's something that happens for me. There's a death and a new life. Um the, the me that deserves all of that, all of that is I've died with Christ. If you you've heard that um, statement in scripture, um, I have died with Christ because he died on my behalf. He died for me. Um, and as he was raised from the dead, now I live this new life. Um, he died this substitutionary death in order, not that I could try harder the next time in this new life, um, but that, so I could be married to him. So now what he's done as, as I've died with him and he's raised me to new life and there's this newness in me now, the Holy Spirit has wrought this new life in me that wasn't there before. I'm spiritually alive for the first time ever. It's not so that I can try harder. It's so that I can belong to Jesus and have a committed covenant, marital union and communion and enjoyment with him for all of eternity from now on. So now this whole, um, when it says bearing fruit for God, that's maturity. That's this picture picture of what we talk about in our vision statement of Jesus is setting us free. Maturity is the work of Jesus setting us free from our sin and our immaturity and all the ways that we rebel against him Uh, that are not good. It's him in the new power of this new life and the Holy Spirit setting us free. It's this, he has set us free and he continues to set us free as we walk with him, as we commune with him over the course of our entire lives. We are being set free. We are being transformed. And in verse 5, Paul talks about um, how this whole fear thing came to be as we were um, bound by the law. He says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members, in our body, to bear fruit for death. What is he saying there? He's saying that our response to this good law bears uh, reveals our condition. The law is good. The things that God says are good. He's created us. And because he is good and he is kind and he's gentle and he's righteous and he's holy, and he is uh, a God who loves justice and loves mercy and is love and is wisdom. He is the ultimate father. He is the ultimate creator. He is the ultimate lover of your soul. When he makes laws for you and I to live by, it's because they're good for us. It's because he loves us. And so my reaction to those good laws reveals that I have a problem. It's like if somebody um, wanted to just hand me money and and prepare a a feast in my honor and I just um, cursed them out and got angry at them, it's like, yeah, okay, this guy's weird. He's got problems. Like there's something in here that like, I don't want there to be a God of the universe who loves me and who wants to help me and wants to walk with me and have a relationship with me. I want to pretend like he's not real and I was made from dust and I'm a coincidence and and none of this has any meaning. They're like, really? Like, you would choose that? Like, what's wrong with you? There's something wrong. And so it just reveals when I respond this way to a good God and a good law, it reveals that I'm just shot through with this cancer of sin, that there's something in me that's just not, not okay. And it's not my circumstances, it's me. It's that there's something in me that is horribly, horribly wrong. And so that is where this fear comes from. And that's how fear leads to sin. And Paul unpacks Paul it. It's like um, we rebelled and we we're condemned under the law. And so we resent God and we fear God. But here's the kicker. Here's why we can't just give him the double birds and walk away. Is because we were made for him. And my heart's deepest desire, even if I'm angry at him and I hate him, is to love him. And so now I'm stuck in this eternal perpetual state of dissatisfaction. I cannot be satisfied because the very one, the very thing that I was made for, I can't have. And, and I believe that it's impossible and he won't have me. And so it creates this weird situation like, you know, it's, it's like if you're in college and you're in this relationship or and you just totally blow it, but you still love this person, but you can never have them and you just see them out all the time. So then you just start acting out because you're like the one person that I, I wanna be with that I can't have, um, this is just always in my face. And so I just start acting out to hurt myself and hurt other people and hurt them. And that's, that's kind of the human condition in operation. And so this um, pain and resentment and longing is expressed in more and more rebellion and trying to substitute shallow lesser loves that are doomed from the start that will never satisfy us. And so that's our flesh. Um, We we talk about the three enemies of man, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, That's our flesh, that's what's going on in here. Um, The world is also working against us because we have uh, just ample evidence of everyone else living that life too. And so that just cements these um, false realities of like, it's, it's all of us like hearing each other's attempt to believe that there's not a God and that I don't really think about him or care about him. And I'm gonna be just fine without him. And so as we sort of build these little kingdoms and tell each other these lies back and forth and we agree with each other because it helps us not think about it, um, we got that working against us too. But also don't forget that we have an enemy, uh, the evil one. And it says in scripture that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's what John says in 1 John. And so this is how the enemy enslaves us. Hebrews 2.14 says that the devil has the power of death. And so you know what that's like? It's like he is an abusive boyfriend who is keeping us down, and he is just always saying, no one else will ever love you. You are so foul. You are so dirty. You are so wicked. I'm I'm the only shot you have at any kind of uh, relationship. Uh, That one out there, that God who made you, who you long for, um, he will never look at you again because of how filthy you are and disgusting you are. And so you are enslaved to me. You need to listen to me and you're gonna stay right here in my basement and I'm gonna torture you. <laughs> I mean, that's, that is the, the uh, on a spiritual plane, that is what is happening in humanity. And so we are just enslaved out of this fear and this realization that I am dirty. Um, I, there is something wrong with me. And so he must be right. Um, and there is no hope, and this is as good as it's ever going to get. But then Jesus shows up, and this is where if you've got some yeses and amens, this is a good place to use them. It's like he shows up and knocks on the door and says, hey, let me interrupt this abuse fest, and uh, you can abuse me instead. And then he's abused and destroyed in our place, um, dying for our sin. But then guess what? He rises from the dead. The enemy thinks that he's defeated him and us and everything. Um, But guess what? Because he's God, he can't be held by death. So he rises from the grave victorious because he has paid the price for our sins. So now we're free. So now the enemy is powerless over us. We get to walk right out of that basement and never come back. And not only are we set free, but we were set free and Jesus rose from the dead and he turns back toward us and says, this is also so I can marry you. It's not just that you're free from this abusive boyfriend that you need to get away from. It's that you now have the most perfect husband in the world and you are loved by me. And if you ever doubt how much I love you, remember what just happened back there in the basement? I, was, I let myself be destroyed for you. Because I love you, and you will never have to go to those dark places because of what I've done for you. As bad as it gets out here, you will, there are places, a, a infinitely darker and worse, that you will never have to see or know anything about because of my love for you. And he marries us. And now the enemy is powerless. There's no more fear of death that he can hold over our heads. There's no more fear of condemnation that he can hold over our heads. And there's a new life operating within us. In verse 6, Paul says, now we are released from the law. Having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What he's saying there is now this law that is good. We can see it for what it is. It's not a burden. The Lord is leading us to keep the law, but it's not, we don't even have to focus on it. It's secondary. We will keep the law more and more, not because we're trying harder to keep the law, but because we are looking into the eyes of the lover of our soul and his love is changing us. He is making us new. He is making us more like him. And as we become more like him and enjoy this love and this fellowship with him, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, hey, I'm keeping the law now. I don't resent this as much. I actually love God. I want to please him. I want to do these things. These other things that I used to love now disgust me because now I can see. I'm not living in the basement anymore in this sickness and this just wickedness. Um, I'm enjoying this life as life was intended And I'm living with this Jesus who's loved me and given everything for me. So now we have this new life in the spirit. Jesus' very spirit lives in us and we are set free and we are being set free. We have been set free and we are experiencing that freedom more and more as the life of Christ, as the kingdom of God grows in us. And so we respond to love with love in return. It's a forever marriage to the lover of our souls that death cannot break. It is life and communion and love with Jesus forever. And John says this in 1 John four, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. And you and I never have to fear punishment again. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And that's not a judgment statement. That is said with gentleness. That is said, you know, the the reality of living life the way that we have lived it up to this point um, is that those ruts are deep. Those ruts of living and believing certain things about us and about God, those are deep and they don't just disappear. And so when John says this, when Jesus says this through John, whoever fears has not been perfected in love, that's an invitation to say, hey, Like when you react out of fear like this, you're forgetting. You're not knowing. You don't yet realize the depths of what this means, that I love you, and my love is never going to change or weaken or lessen or be interrupted in any way, shape, or form. You don't ever have to be afraid. Even when you find yourself Cursing yourself because you've gone back to these old habits and old patterns. You've done things you said, I'll never do that again. You've said things you said, I will never say that again. You've thought things that you said, I will never think again. Thank God that you are not your judge and executioner. Because even in those places, he says, you don't ever have to be afraid, ever. Everything that I've done for you is sufficient forever. And and what we are experiencing now in time and space, because remember, like the God of the universe is not bound by time and space. So even though that happened outside of time and space, in time and space, in the rest of this life until we see Jesus face to face, he is working this out in a way that is bound by time and space. And so it is this, that is the, the big word sanctification is me and Jesus and us and Jesus together in this union and communion forever that he is slowly changing our thoughts, our attitudes, our desires, our wills, our actions, our words, we are being set free and we don't have to fear and he is not threatened in any way uh, when we stumble in the process. We are being perfected in love. We are not perfecting ourselves by trying harder. And so now, that was a very important detour to come back to this place where we see this picture of Jesus and Levi together. This reality that we just spent the entirety of this sermon unpacking is what allows Levi to welcome Jesus into his home and not hide everything and not hurry up and not have like a pre-made speech that he's gonna give Jesus and then ask him to leave, but it just allows him to be together and have space and know that anything that Jesus says is never in shame or condemnation, is always in love because he loves us and, and we are being set free. And so um, again, those, those old habits die hard They're deeply ingrained, and that's why, if you've heard the phrase, the spiritual disciplines, um, that's why those are there. These are gifts of grace that God has given us not to try to perfect ourselves, but they're ways in which we walk with him and spend time with him and let him shower us under the waterfall of his love and grace and be changed by him. It's what allows us to have space because there are things like silence and solitude Meditation on scripture, contemplative prayer, when we come together and do this and we worship as a body, all of these and and many more are these disciplines that God has given us to um, bless us and to help us live more and more into and out of the reality that is now true for us. And so um, just a few thoughts here on that. Celebration of Discipline by Foster uh, is a great resource if if you want to dip your toes into the water of spiritual disciplines. Anything by Jim Branch um, and a book called Hearing God by Dallas Willard. All of these are great um, if you've got the space and want to read. Um, But also what we do every Thursday morning um, is a a space where you will experientially learn the love of God and live out of the love of God more as we pray together and seek him together. Uh, Groups. Uh, if y'all are not in a group, we'd really encourage you to, to do that. That's a place where that commitment, that covenantal commitment kind of plays out in a community. And we meet Jesus together and watch as we are bonded and united in that. And watch as he does his, his good work in our lives. And then uh, you'll hear more about this later. But on March 10th, we're going to have a night where we talk about um, learning how to hear from God. And have uh, conversation and relationship with him. So... Um, so, yeah, this Jesus, he comes to set us free. It's not, a, it's not a bait and switch. He really does come to set us free because he loves us. And uh, what we're going to do now is just practice. This might be really awkward for some of you all, but um, just like in marriage or any deep friendship, um, it takes time to learn about the other person and learn how to relate. And so we're going to just spend five minutes um, in silence just trying to do what Blaise Pascal said is, is very hard to do and just be with Jesus.